Thank you, Susan. And uh, what a treat it's been this morning uh, to have our uh, young adults, college students lead us in worship and uh, the collective ministry, and we're just uh, overwhelmed by God's grace. And it, it's good them having their t-shirts on today because you can kind of see uh, them interspersed in, in their zone, which uh, I know some of you will be graduating uh, I guess next week, and then be heading home. Others of you, it'll be the end of the semester, and so this may be our last Sunday with several of you, but we'll long to see you back. Uh, those of you who are still in school, um, see you back in the fall. Well, it certainly is a, a, a joyful time to be uh, God's people, uh, be a part of this church, and, and I thought before I got into my sermon just to share a few things that have gone on that I hope would be encouragement to you beyond the encouragement I hope you're already seeing uh, with our young adults. And the first is, um, last week, uh, our very own Corey Bledsoe was honored by the Kentucky Baptist Convention as the Missionary of the Year in the state of Kentucky. Uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Corey's watching, I think, in the gym, but I'm sure you're embarrassed there as well. So, uh, but we are thrilled. Uh, uh, Corey's one of our own. He's served our church well. He is the director of Recenter Ministries in Louisville, serving the homeless community, both in Louisville and in southern Indiana, uh, trying to reach them with the gospel of Christ. And we're thankful to own. Uh, last week, I told you that our Annie Armstrong mission offering totals had, had reached over 19,000. Well, this week, I come with a new number. It is $23,447, uh, which is really just mind-blowing. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Um, I, I don't have uh, the archives in my head, but at least to my knowledge, that's the largest NAM on any Armstrong offering that I think we've collected, certainly in many years, um, if not uh, the largest that we've had. And then finally, I, I learned this week from uh, Matt Neiswanger. Matt serves on staff as our facility director and student minister. Uh, he shared a story with me about our, our live stream um, that his dad had, had met a woman in Maine. His parents live up in Maine. Uh, who was inquiring about the faith, and she asked what are some other preachers she should be listening to, and he directed her to our live stream, and I, I don't know how, how many weeks or months she was watching, but the Lord saved her through our Matthew series, and now she has joined up with Matt's dad and his church in Maine. <clears throat> These are just things that, that, that maybe we don't think about, but the Lord is doing all sorts of things um, beyond our imagination, even beyond this room and the gym and uh, doing things throughout the world, and, and we pray that he continue um, to use us for his glory, as we just sang, even if no legacy remains. If the name of Oak Park doesn't last forever, and it won't, who cares for all it has done for the glory of Christ? I pray that that will be the heart that we bring to this passage this morning. And it's an interesting one. Uh, this passage that we are at is typically when we turn to, I, I think I've done so in, in years past, uh, when we're in the heated, um, anticipated political season, right? When we're every four years and it seems that those years get shrunk tighter and tighter. We don't even feel like we've ever left the political season. So maybe that's why the Lord has, has us in his providence, brought us back to this passage, um, which really speaks and lays out some principles for us as Christians as we, as we think to um, 
to learn how, how do we live in right relationship to our governing authorities without compromising our relationship to the Lord. And it's my prayer that in God's providence, bringing us back to a matter that we've considered times and times and again, maybe that we'd hear it with fresh ears and see it with fresh eyes. And, and maybe without the immediate tension and division of a political season, maybe we'll hear it the way we intend, God intends us to hear it. In this particular passage, we're, we're challenged, um, and I think it's fitting even for us today because of the transition that we're experiencing in our own culture, in our own society. We, there's no doubt that everyone would acknowledge whether uh, you think these are good changes or they are bad changes. Changes are happening in our society. And for us as Christians, by and large, we, we feel a bit of um, uncomfortableness with the changes that are occurring, where there's a leeriness about the future, in particular what some of these things might mean for us. And I was uh, particularly having a conversation uh, recently, actually, I think it was with Corbin, who did a great job leading us in song uh, this morning. And we were talking about some of these changes that are occurring. And in particular, I began to share um, just some of the challenges that I think we as Christians are going to face in the near future. I, I, I'm not a prophet or a son of the prophet. These are just me kind of looking at the tea leaves and just kind of seeing where things seem to be going. I pray that they don't, but but seems that they may. We're talking about some of the challenges, particularly facing us in, in terms of religious liberty. And specifically, I was sharing about the Equality Act. Maybe you're familiar with it, the Equality Act, um, which hasn't come to pass, but, but seems certain will. It is meant to be an amendment to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, a, a good act and, and has brought a great change in our country. But this amendment to the Civil Rights Act is also seeking to prohibit discrimination. And on the, on the surface, you'd say, well, that's, that's good. We don't want to discriminate against people. But... This particular act um, is, is sought to address matters of sexual identity, gender, and, um, and sexual orientation. And so what, what does that mean? Well, it means in particular that, that any public institution of any sort uh, would not be able to discriminate against a person based on any of these matters. And already, uh, if you've been watching the news, there are lawsuits being brought against Christian institutions in anticipation of this law being passed. And, and, and some of these institutions that are under this massive lawsuit include Liberty University, Baylor University, Union in Jackson, Tennessee, and there's many others that are found in this lawsuit anticipating uh, the passing of the Equality Act, which, which here's where the, the rub comes. No discrimination in the housing and in the dorms. So a young man decides that he is no longer a man, he's a woman, he wants to be in the women's dorm. You can't do that anymore. You can't discriminate. Or a faculty or, or staff who doesn't adhere to the, uh, the confession of faith of that institution or a, a historic Christian sexual ethic. Well, you can't not prohibit not just hiring, but you can't fire anyone on the basis of that. Students who have enrolled in Christian institutions, knowing the very uh, school that they're going to, who, who now come out and, and say that they have, have identified in, in some uh, new sexual orientation, if students 
or teachers or to counsel or seek to, to help them who are struggling in these ways, that is deemed harmful, psychological harm to them and is discrimination and no longer can take place. And they say, well, how are they going to stop that? Well, in particular, what seems to happen is that they will likely lose federal funding. And a lot of these federal funding that goes to many Christian universities, Southern Voice actually isn't one of them, but many, even in our Southern Baptist Convention, our, our state schools, our seminaries, our colleges, accept federal funding, which allows students to get student loans. And so if no longer students can get student loans, what does that mean? Enrollment drops. Uh, you lose a ton of funding. In, in fact, I heard uh, one university president say that his, if, if such changes took place, their budget would be hit by 40%. Just imagine... 40% of your budget gone. Well, if you're already struggling, well, that's just the nail on the coffin, right? That's just one way that these things can happen. And churches will likely be the next round, if you will. I don't know when, but churches, the same type of things, and probably will come through, okay, if you are now a, deemed a, a, a harm to society, you, you are deemed to, uh, to be against, a detriment to the good of society, Based on these standards, likelihood you could see uh, tax exemption taken away. The churches don't pay property tax. So imagine a church is just barely getting by in their budget. Well, now you have property taxes. Well, you're done. Or you can just bow the knee, right? You can comply. And those seem to be kind of where we are headed. And for, for these reasons, and, and maybe it doesn't happen. Let's pray it doesn't. But for these reasons, we as Christians need to think carefully about what Jesus teaches us here. Because the principles laid out here have served the church throughout its history to navigate these political waters, to escape the snares of politics that will be pressed upon us. Brothers and sisters, the world is changing, whether we like it or not. The world is changing. And the freedoms that we now enjoy, we may not have much longer. But what Jesus teaches us in this passage is that, guess what? We can still faithfully serve him, even if we find ourselves in the most pagan, unbelieving government system. Do you know that? We can still serve him, even if our government explicitly opposes him. In fact, the principles of this passage have freed Christians up to take the gospel into any country. Did you know that? What Jesus teaches us here is absolutely uh, mind-blowing to at least the old era under Israel to the new area in the church. The gospel can go into all parts of the earth because it's not bound up with a political system. Where previously, God's people were under a theocracy, weren't they? the king over them and their territories and their bounds and their laws and all these things which prevented them from really going out to the nations, but no longer. There's going to be a change now that Jesus has come. And this change has enabled believers to take the gospel to far distant places, even in the most oppressive government systems. Yes, pol politics and political systems can bind us, can't they? 
We could lose buildings. We could be thrown into jail. But as the Apostle Paul says, the word of God is never bound. It just means new, new, new places for evangelism, right? New opportunities. Oh, you're spread out. And I hope us to be able to see that even as we consider this, this text this morning. And so as we live in a transitional time in our society, I want us to escape, or at least attempt to escape, the snare of politics. Because I think oftentimes we're sucked up into it. And, and we lose our bearings. And, and, and not that there isn't a place for us to engage in it. Sometimes we are just too, too attached to it. And I sometimes wonder if, if we think that we're building a kingdom here on earth rather than anticipating the kingdom to come. And where I want us to understand is that we are to escape this snare, not by withdrawing from the world, not by disengaging, but rather shrewdly, and I use that term intentionally, shrewdly engaging the world in order to bring all things in subjection to Christ through the gospel. What is this going to require? Well, first of all, this is going to require, point number one, that we recognize our political dilemma. We need to recognize our political dilemma. Jesus here finds himself in a political dilemma. At least that's what the Pharisees hope. We hope we have caught Jesus between a rock and a hard place. Now, now remember, if you've been with us through, through the, uh, over the last several weeks, this is an ongoing conversation Jesus is having with the religious leaders. We are on Tuesday of Passion Week. We haven't even left Tuesday yet, okay? We are on Tuesday leading up to the cross on Friday, but we are still on Tuesday, okay? And it is Tuesday, and Jesus has, this is the day after Jesus has cleansed the temple, run out the money changers. And if you look back in chapter 21, beginning in verse 23, the Pharisees had begun a dialogue, and they had asked Jesus a question. By what authority do you do these things? What things? How are you able to just come in here like you own the place, teaching, healing, and then driving out the money changers, flipping over the tables, throwing out the chairs? Who gave you the authority to do this? And so this debate or this dialogue begins with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And, and Jesus, before the watching crowd, puts them in a bind. He says, I'll tell you what, I will answer this question if you will answer my one question. He says, John the Baptist, do you remember him? Was he from heaven or from man? And Jesus puts them in a political bind. And we find out in that text that they, they, they huddle together and they begin to, 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 to dialogue. Okay, what do we say? Because if we say we believe that John the Baptist came from God, came from heaven, well, he's going to say, then why didn't you believe his message and what he says about me? But if we say, oh, he, he wasn't from God, we're going to lose credibility in the eyes of the people. We'll lose popular opinion. And guess what? They think he's a prophet. And so they come in and they... they they said, we don't know. And Jesus effectively humiliates them in front of everybody. And then Jesus tells them three different parables uh, that we, we, we touch on later that are directed at them and how, how judgment is going to come upon Israel and this whole system, including them. And they've had enough of it. And so they decide they're going to give Jesus a dose of his own medicine. 
All right, you put us in a bond, you humiliated us. We have a plan. You see it in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted. They planned, they strategized how to entangle him in his words. How can we get him to say something that will trip him up and put an end to this? And so in an effort, they sent their disciples. This is a sense of trying to cloak him. All right, well, if he sees us, he'll know we're really up to something. So we'll just send our disciples and, and we'll send them to do our dirty work, and, and then we're going to send them with the Herodians. These are strange bedfellows. This is like the Herodians are the liberals, and then you got your ultra-conservatives, the Pharisees, working together to trap Jesus. Already that should have tipped you off. Why are you guys hanging out together? Right? The Herodians, that, 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 that you, you hear the name Herod, that are, those are the people of the family of Herod, or at least they weren't identified with Herod. And Herod was a, a sense of a blending of, of, of Israelite life with the Roman Empire. It was a compromise, a power grab. These are the people who don't want to lose their status or power in society. Hey, hey, we'll, we'll line ourselves up with Rome. And then you had the Pharisees who were more withdrawal, the conservatives. No, we, we're not losing our culture. We're not losing our society to this. And so you got people on absolute polar opposites of the spectrum on this debate. Sound familiar? And so they're going to trap Jesus in his words. And so they begin to butter him up. And they say, oh, teacher. They don't recognize him as a teacher, but they're going to play up. Teacher, we know that you are true. You're a man of integrity. You only speak what is right. You teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances. So, so Jesus, a oh wise one, we've got a little friendly debate going on between us. And so we want to ask you, what, what do you think? Is it lawful? Is it permissible? to pay taxes to Caesar or not. This was a hot-button issue in Israel. This was causing political turmoil and a divide amongst the people. And the Pharisees would answer by saying, it is absolutely wrong to pay this tax. Why would it be wrong? Because it legitimizes a pagan, idolatrous government in saying they have legitimate rule over us when they don't. We are a theocracy. We have no rulers. We have no king except Yahweh our Lord. And we aren't going to recognize these pagans. That would be a compromise to our identity as a people, as a culture, as the true people of God. This isn't just about a political opinion. This is about their religious convictions. You can't pay that tax. And then I've already kind of mentioned the Herodians. They were on the other side. They, they sought to retain their political power. They had made compromises, if you will. Hey, we can make all this work, and, and you can have all the things you want. You can have your little religion, and, and, but just recognize that we're the ones over in control of it. And so there were those, mainly more elite, if you will, who had sought to support the Roman Empire in this way. And so these two groups also represented, you can imagine, uh, the divide amongst the people. And the Pharisees think they have Jesus ensnared. And this is why. Because if he says, no, do not pay the tax, what is that saying? Well, you are an instigator of sedition. And we'll, even though we think that's the right answer, we'll turn you in. (laughs) 
We will go report you to the governing authorities that you are trying to lead a rebellion against Caesar and against the Roman Empire, and they'll take care of him. But if he sides with Herodians, the political elite, the elite in our, our world, I guess he'll lose all credibility as a man of God in the eyes of the people, the masses. We got him. No matter what he says, he's done. Do you see the dilemma? We might put it this way. This is the question, really. What is the question? Where's the rub that you and I even face today? Can we live in honor to our God by obeying governing authorities who do not recognize our God? That's the rub right there. Can I live in honor to the one true God and serve a government that doesn't recognize our God, might even oppose our God? That is the dilemma. And we are faced with it constantly, and Christians divide over these things. We've gone through it with COVID, goodness sake, right? Churches, if we wear a mask, are we letting the government dictate our worship? the same questions. If we obey the government restrictions, that's going to hinder worship. Who's really the Lord of the church, it will say, right? Jesus or Caesar? And we divide over that, right? All sorts of churches. Or let's put it in the, in the business realm. Can we honor God as Christian business owners and submit to the Affordable Care Act? which requires owners to supply health care that also covers abortion and may even, in certain cases, um, pay for sex changes? And Christians' consciences are being bound. And, oh my, if we pay this tax, if we do this, aren't we supporting a pagan, idolatrous government? We, we have these debates all over the place. We could just go down the line, topic after topic. And this is what was going on in Israel. If we pay this tax, aren't we legitimizing Caesar as our ruler? And here's the deal. Jesus says, give me the coin. And on this coin, it was, it was a blasphemous image. One, it had a picture of Caesar on it. And on one side of the coin, it said, the divine son of God. That's what Caesar declared himself to be. The son of Zeus, the son of God. Yeah, you can do whatever you want as long as you recognize me as preeminent. And on the other side, effectively it said, and high priest, I'm your mediator. If our currency started saying that type of stuff, we'd be flipping out, wouldn't we? You'd be flipping out. I'm not, that's not my money. Nuh-uh. I'm using the old stuff, real stuff. I don't care if you take it or not. I'm going to use it. And we'd go right down that line, wouldn't we? And I see this happening on every issue. And Jesus helps us actually navigate this. He helps us because I think where we struggle, we want righteousness. We want what is good. We don't want to do what would dishonor our God and our Savior but we tend to press the two realms of politics and our worship together. 
And, and Jesus is, is going to help us kind of see two realms of authority here. This is the dilemma we face. Can I live in faithfulness to Christ and submit to the governing authorities who blaspheme his name? And whatever law or, or edict or executive order that comes through. You and I are faced with this question every stinking week, aren't we? And if you and I can't work it out, one will bite and devour one another. And we won't be able to navigate the culture and actually contribute to the spread of the gospel in our world. And so this is so important. This, this little verse, verse 21, where Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God, is, is, is a game changer. It's a game changer. And so Jesus winsomely escapes their political trap here, doesn't he? And that's your second point. Recognize the two spheres of authority. Jesus winsomely, he, he is showing us in some sense how to be shrewd here. And how to escape the political trap set for him by declaring a new way of thinking about our relationship to the government he, he's been anticipating all along, if you've been with us in Matthew, he's been saying, hey, when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be delivered, I'm going to be crucified, but on the third day I'm going to rise and everything's going to change. Everything's going to change. And already in these parables, he's talking about how, how the, the, the city in Jerusalem is going to be burned to the ground. He's anticipating the Roman Empire coming in and destroying the temple and burning Jerusalem to the ground, which is what they did in A.D. 70. And this was a, a sign of judgment, but the end of an era. The old age of Israel and the people of God being identified and that nationality is over. doesn't mean Jews can't be saved. It just means you must come through Christ. And so Jesus is anticipating, and this answer anticipates the change that is coming. And namely, Israel's theocracy, it's practically been over. But they're going to see it is over. That's why there's still no temple today. God does not dwell in the temple anymore. And there is no king over Israel. He has been raised and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he reigns over heaven and earth. As Jesus will say at the end of the gospel, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations. It's a game changer. And this even entails how you identify with the politics. Because if you are bound to a theocratic system like Israel, well, guess what? You can't go reach anybody. Everybody's got to come to you. But if you're not bound by the political system, guess what? You can go anywhere. Absolutely can go anywhere. And so Jesus tells them, we've kind of already addressed this, but in verse 20, anybody got a coin? Give me the coin about the tax. Okay, this is the controversial coin. It might have even been so controversial that Jesus grabs it and holds it up. Oh, my word, you would touch it. You would touch it. In fact, I, I joked about having, if this happened to us, we'd make our own currency. That's exactly what the Jews did. They had a bronze coin that they'd worked out a deal to somehow, okay, we'll use this currency because this is blasphemous to us. And Jesus picks it up and says, it's a coin. It's a coin. Whose image and likeness is on the coin? And, and 
And the Herodians, the Pharisees, they say, well, Caesar's. Boom, he got him. And so it, it's like Jesus says, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. And I imagine you just flip the coin. And the things of God to God. Just like, get over it. And so this raises a question for us. And, and I've made this maybe since it seems so flippant and easy. It's not. And this raises a question for us. Well, what are the things that belong to Caesar and the things that belong to God, right? It, that's where the rub comes, right? Well, where does that line happen? Well, what I want you to see, and I hope that you just kind of felt, okay, we aren't so distant from this dilemma. Everything, there is a sense in which I cannot disconnect my life as a citizen of this country and my walk with Jesus. And so it's hard. And, the, and what Jesus is saying isn't compartmentalized and you got the things of Caesar are distinct completely from the things of God because actually what we find out is all things are God's things, right? Yet he makes categories that helps us navigate through this. So what, what are the things that pertain to Caesar? Or, or, or as Paul says, all, there is no authority except the authority of God and those whom he has placed in authority. Paul's applying this text in Romans 13. And so in a sense in which God has given a delegated authority to Caesar, and Caesar represents the state. But what are some things that Caesar would do? Well, clearly we see here, first of all, taxes. And guess what? There seems to be a sense in which you're not responsible for how the government uses your tax money. That's the issue, right? If I pay this tax, I'm somehow directly involved. And Jesus seems to say, no, you're not. You're not involved. I'll take care of that. Pay the tax. Has his likeness on it. What are some other things? Well, the law is enacted. You need to obey them. Even the unjust ones. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is talking about loving your enemies, he, he speaks about, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6 in retaliation. Uh, no, chapter 5, sorry. Chapter 5. He says, if anyone forces you, verse 41, to go one mile, go with them two miles. What's he talking about? He's talking about a Roman citizen. Think about a police officer who comes along, and this guy's corrupt. And he says, you know what? You, I don't care what you're doing today. You're carrying my gear. Go with me one mile. He says, go two with him. That violates my rights. I don't care. This is, this is an example of that. The laws enacted, respecting civil servants, presidents, governors, Congress, local officials, police, other government agencies. These are the things that belong to the realm of Caesar. Acknowledge them. Respect them. Paul says, give honor to whom honor is due. Acknowledge their use of force in executing judgment against lawbreakers to maintain order. Adhere to the rules and regulations they put in place. Think about them. we got tons of them, right? There's rules and regulations for how you conduct your business, how you build your house, transportation, medical practice, farming, fire codes, building permits, you name it. You could just keep going down the line, right? All these things, the things that are Caesar's. Why? Because he provides you with the opportunity to do these things, right? Whose likeness and inscriptions on it? Yeah, we don't have heads of our presidents 
literally on our buildings and things like that, but that wouldn't be uncommon in, in a Roman Empire. Who's building the roads for you? Who's doing that? It'll render to them the things that are theirs. Jesus says, look at who rules you. Who supplies you the land, the currency, the protection, and everything you have to live? Yes, this is not saying that they are the be-all, end-all. We recognize that God is the one who gives us all things. Every good thing comes from his hand, but he does it through means. He says, give back to them whatever they require. That's what render means, give back. Give back. It, they supplied that means of currency so you could live and have an economy. Well, give it back they ask for it back. And it doesn't matter if you think they're doing a good job or not. Because certainly they didn't think so. <laughs> they didn't think this was good. And you might be saying, okay, Chase, yeah, but there's limits here. Yeah, and Jesus says there are. He says, and render the things that are God's to God. Well, what is God's? Well, certainly all things are God's, right? He's the creator of all things. Holds the word up by the word of his, by the word of his power. He, he's created all things out of nothing. Nothing can exist apart from him. But clearly Jesus is talking about a, a realm in some sense of, of religious authority for us. I think particularly you could sum it all up in worship. What are the things that belong to God? Our worship. Our worship. We might spell this out a little bit more. Our proclamation of the gospel. That's in the, in the realm of the things of God. What you do in your home, raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Walking in obedience to him. These, these are areas that, that really show themselves in, in vast arrays of ways. And here's what's so profound about what Jesus is saying. The government might take your money. Let's, let's just, what's the greatest fear? They might take your money. They might take your house. They might take your job, your church building. But they cannot take your worship. Can't. And by submitting to the government and rendering whatever is asked, hey, you guys, what, what if the day came? You know what? You all are deemed, Oak Park is deemed a detriment to society. We have revoked your land deed. No, that's not fair. That's against the law. Well, we change the law. We have new laws. This isn't yours anymore. Some of us say, well, then we're fighting. And Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And the things that are God's, God. And by submitting the government and rendering whatever is asked, guess what we do? We do it out of worshipful obedience. We actually recognize that, that God's sovereign over this. And we understand that the state is God's state. I think Jesus rendered to Caesar was Caesar his own life, right? Went under a whole unjust criminal trial. It's all working against him. And he shows us how even laying down his life, he destroyed the rulers of the powers. Power of Satan, sin, and death. 
So we need to recognize these two spheres. There's much more that could be said about it, but I want to get real practical as we close. I want you to see that this actually brings you great freedom. I mean, I know there, there's, there's different spectrums in this room. Some of us are more attached to certain things than others, and, and this isn't easy. And we should be patient with one another wherever we're coming from, but I want you to recognize, thirdly, your freedom in Christ in regards to these things. And first of all, these are some, some implications here. You're free to honor God no matter what the political system is. Do you know that? What Jesus says here liberates you. No matter who's the president or your greatest fear that, that our, our, our government goes to a communist state. Guess what? I don't want that, but you know what? It doesn't prevent us from worshiping. So if we have a secular state who uses our taxes for evil, guess what? They're held accountable for the evil they do with it. Not necessarily you. That, now, I say that. If you are a promoter of that government in that sense, and you champion the evil they do, well, then you're culpable. There's a sense in which I don't approve of that, but I'm paying the taxes anyway. Jesus shows some sense of, of, of separation that you aren't held accountable here. That's what the issue is, right? And so this is incredible news. Your submission to the state doesn't taint or invalidate your worship so long as you're doing it as unto the Lord. That is a total change from Israel's theocracy to now what is about to take place as the gospel goes out throughout the world. Christians are going to be saved in all sort of political systems. And guess what? They can worship. That wasn't true for Israel. And so even if we live in a totalitarian state who explicitly opposes our God, guess what? You're still pleasing to him. Even as you respect and obey those authorities put ahead of you. We get a glimpse of this in the life of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, right? Talk about injustice. Pulled out of their home. You're enlisted into the king's court. You're, you're the elite of the elite. We're going to brainwash you. We're going to give you new names. And you're going to be my uh, inner court servants. And chances are they made them eunuchs, just so you know. If you don't know what that means, get your study Bible out, okay? <laughs> we don't want you to have any divided loyalties. My harem is my harem, Nebuchadnezzar says. But you're going to serve me. And guess what they do? And they navigate this. We got to learn to be like Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael. Who lived and served the pagan blasphemous king Nebuchadnezzar. We're not a theocracy, brothers and sisters. We couldn't even pull it off if we tried. The saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely. We're not like ancient Israel where the king's relationship and the practice and his relationship to God directly affects us as a people. We're not like that. And so you're not accountable for the unrighteous and evil our government does so long as you're walking in righteousness with Christ. It frees you from that guilt. But secondly, we are free to disobey. Okay, You're free to honor God under this government, but you're also free to disobey in order to worship God. That's the purpose. Ultimately, what is our purpose in life? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? And we want his glory to fill the earth as the waters 
cover the sea, that there is no inch, no atom in this world that does not sing the praises of our God. That's where we saw in Psalm, our call to worship from Psalm, excuse me, 66, verses 1 through 4. Let all the earth praise him. That's what we want. So if the government opposes us in that endeavor, guess what? We are free from, now listen to me, that particular expression of unrighteous rule. We're free from that particular expression of unrighteous rule. That doesn't mean, okay, they oppose us, that means we don't have to do anything they say. We are free. No. They tell you to stop preaching the gospel? Say, I can't do that. But I'll pay my taxes. And I'll, I'll, I'll obey the regulations that you put in place in my business. And I'll do whatever you say in the building codes. And I'll do all these other things. And I will not be a terror to your society. I will not be uh, exercise any form of sedition. But I'm sorry, I must proclaim the name of Jesus. So if the government tells us we cannot seek to evangelize people, which happens, I, I could see that happening. That is a form of psychological harm. That's the t- terms you're going to start hearing. You're psychologically harming people by calling them to trust in Jesus when they're not a Christian. And so to do that is, is deemed illegal. No more converting people. You can do whatever you all want in your little building, but once you bring it outside, no more. Well, we'll disobey. If the government says you can no longer minister to those who suffer from, say, gender dysphoria or experience same-sex attraction, you can no longer, even with your children... This is some of the things that are being pushed, that you can't, you can't have those conversations with them. That's between them and not even their doctor anymore. If they want to do it and their school counselor wants them to do it, you can't interfere with that. Well, guess what? We're going to disobey. If the government says you cannot worship your God, we'll disobey. But here's, here's something that, that we need to see here. Jesus instructs us not to be foolish about our civil disobedience. Jesus has already told us that in this world, we're going to have to be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. You remember that? It's back in, in Matthew chapter 10, when he sends out the disciples into the communities. And he says, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. They're going to devour you, so you better be shrewd. You better not be stupid out there. That's what he's basically saying. Be as sneaky as a snake but you got no venom in your bite. You're innocent as a dove. You're innocent as a dove. Why? Well, because these wolves, guess what? When they find you, some of them are going to hand you over to the authorities. They're going to bring you over to the courts. They're going to drag you before the governing officials. They're going to beat you. They're going to imprison you. So you need to be wise about it. Don't act foolishly. So what does that mean? Don't flaunt your civil disobedience and unnecessarily draw attention to yourself. And I think that's an area we have to grow in. Oh, you're not telling me that. Oh, Facebook took this down? Hey, guys, let's, let's show them. We're going to put it out there. That spirit is not the spirit you learn from Christ. That is, I'm sticking it to you. Yeah, I guess you have the right, but not all things are beneficial. Not all things will be a sweet-smelling fragrance to bring people to faith in Christ. But are those whose lips invite a beating, Proverbs says. There's a way of living in the world that's not foolish. 
So act shrewdly, not as to bring unnecessary trouble upon yourself, your family, the church. Why? So that we can do the things that we need to do in the sphere of the things that belong to God. So that we can be strategic and effectively win people to faith in Christ. So that we can ultimately crush the head of the serpent and bring all things in subjection to Christ. Here's what not to do. There was... um, prominent pastor, I won't say his name, but I thoroughly enjoy pretty much everything he says. But back, uh, I remember about 15 years ago, there's a big debate, and I don't even know what the laws are now about spanking your kids. But similar stuff. You know, the government says, you can't spank your kids, what do we do? And he got up and his, I'm sure, and impassioned, and and maybe he would take this back. If they they do that, I'm going to, next time my kid does something wrong, I need discipline, I'm dragging them to the courthouse steps and I'll spank them right there. Like, I'll I'll do it. You tell me I can't do that. That's not your realm. Stay in your lane, bro. You know, they're going to, I'm going to do it right in front of you. And Jesus says, that would be foolish. That would be real foolish. Why poke the bear? It's a ferocious beast. Other, here's what you, we need to learn, maybe from our Muslim brothers and sisters. I don't mean Muslim as in they're Christians. I mean people in Muslim countries who are Christian. They understand they're in the midst of wolves. And some wolves are more ferocious than others. They don't wear clothing that identifies them as Christian. They don't walk around with necklaces, with crosses. They don't wear t-shirts that let everybody know that they're with Jesus. They know that it's against the law to evangelize anyone. And so you know what they do? They, they pray. Spirit, lead me to someone who would be friendly, who would be open to it. And they pray and they beg and they watch. And they have scouts out in the streets they're watching for officials, and they plan, hey, hey, we've been building this relationship with somebody. Let's you know, have them over for dinner so that we're in secret or closed doors so that we can share the gospel. Are they being compromisers? Are they not just trusting God and just going out there and preaching Christ boldly? No, they're being wise as serpents because they're in the midst of wolves. No need to bring unnecessary trouble upon themselves. In Pakistan, talking to a missionary, whenever they get together, this particular brother, when he goes, everybody knows to meet at a particular bus stop that changes each time. When you get there, there's one brother or sister who collect all your cell phones, all your devices in a bag, and they don't get on the bus. They take all your stuff. You get on the bus, you don't know where you're going. You go to an undisclosed location where you will worship that day. And at the end, you get back on the bus, you go to a different spot, and then you'll get your phone back. Why? Because they, they know the government might be tracking them. They don't want to meet at any place twice. They, um, they don't even want them to accidentally share with their family. Why? Because the cost is too high. Are they not able to worship? I mean, clearly we don't want that. But they understand how to navigate. And then they're great citizens. No reason to bring any trouble. 
unnecessarily because we have a greater cause. But if we get found out, then okay, we'll deal with that. Finally, we're free to influence our government for the good of our fellow man and the spread of the gospel. This doesn't mean we bow out, we don't do anything. No, actually, I think we do influence. And, and you'll see where Christianity has flourished, even in this country. Where Christianity has flourished, you'll see the most developed countries. You will. Now, we just are at the point where we're done with Christianity, we'll just take the goods that we got. Education, medical advancement, science, that all came from Christianity. It's interesting, when you see horrible earthquakes, for instance, earthquakes, when we have them here, which are terrible, we say there are casualties, and, and we're thinking like tens. But you see earthquakes and tsunamis where Christianity has not been, and there isn't the, 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 the advancements of engineering and, 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 and all the things to the glory of God in building buildings, you see thousands die. Think about this. Even Food Network is the glory of God on display, right? It is. Every, almost every religion has rules about what food you can eat, including Judaism, not Christianity. We can eat to the glory of God. <laughs> but you go and you try to minister to anybody of any other nationality and religion, guess what? You've got to be concerned about what food they're eating because it's unclean. There's all sorts of rules. This is just another one that Jesus is saying, guess what? You're not as bound as you think you are so that you can advance the gospel. You can eat with anybody, even a communist. Guess what, right? So we're free to influence a government indirectly. Our sphere, we don't take matters into our own hands. That's the government sphere. We don't come with the sword. We come with the word. We don't bring change by force. We bring change by preaching to the heart. We don't take matters into our individual hands. No, we go to our knees in prayer. And we seek to transform individual lives by bringing them subjection to Christ so that they repent of their sins, trust Jesus, and guess what begins to happen in that one person's life? Guess what? Their life has changed. Their work ethic changes. The way they raise their family changes. And God saves people in all sorts of various vocations, including Soldiers, government officials, people in Caesar's own household, Paul will say. And guess what? You began to see that as Christianity spread, it influenced the culture. But some of us think it goes the other way around. No, we'll influence the culture and somehow we'll spread Christianity. Nope, it doesn't work that way. It's the opposite. You reach people with the gospel and you teach them how to be good citizens, good family members, good civil servants and you influence our society to the level that we're able to do it we hold our governing officials accountable when they're unrighteous we, we let them know in a, in a God honoring way we disobey honorably I tell college students sometimes I haven't had to do this so much with you guys but maybe the day will come I remember particularly I was a campus minister at the University of Southern California a heavy Asian population and so you got second-generation Asians here whose parents have come from uh, Korea or China, and they have 
been successful, worked very hard in some ways to send their children to the, to the most preeminent of schools. I was at the University of Southern California at that time, which is now, goodness, uh, 12 years or more ago, 15 years ago. It was $60,000 a year. And you weren't just going to go for your four years, then you're going to go into pharmaceuticals, and that's another year. Or you're going to go to med school. And these students would come to faith in Christ, and they would meet a girl. And they're ready to get married. And they had different plans. And when mom and dad found out, that was not good. No, 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 no. You will finish another eight, ten years in school before you even think about this. And they would come and they say, do I honor my parents or do I, they're like, I follow and honor the Lord. I can't, we're not going to be able to stay under control for 10 more years. And we'd say, let's do everything we can to persuade your parents. Let's honor them. Let's try to win them over. Let them see that you're not against them. Even in the name of Christ, guess what? The Lord gives you freedom to limit yourself and try to win them over. And guess what? Oftentimes they did. Oftentimes they did. And said, so if we get to the point that, that they're absolutely opposed and, and you're on your own, you're paying, or, or get off their cell phone bill, you know, start paying your own stuff, start doing some things so that you're not still mooching off of them. Be an independent person and then you can say, hey, I want you to know why I've made that decision. That's a totally different way to say, I'm following Jesus, you don't have any right over me right? Except that's how we sometimes treat our politicians, those in governing authorities. You have no right over me. I'm Christian. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. We're going to go long today because we have Lord's Supper, okay? Um, but I hope this is helpful. And really, as we're going to transition to Lord's Supper, what we're reminded of is we're going to take is our hope is not in a political system. It doesn't mean we don't want the best. We want the welfare of our city. We want the welfare of our country. But ultimately, we know that righteousness and justice will not reign on the earth until Jesus comes back in a perfect sense. And, and, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian, our hope is not in reigning in this world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, who wiped away all our guilt, all our shame, gave us new hearts that love him, and, and we want to love him and love our neighbor as ourself. And we long for a day when one who, who does not have sin will bring his rule and he will reign with perfect justice, perfect equity, making all things right, correcting every wrong. And so when we gather around in the Lord's Supper here, that is what we're proclaiming until he comes, right? We proclaim his death and the benefits that we have until Jesus comes back. And so if you have repented of your sins, you have confessed him as your Lord and Savior through the waters of baptism, you are welcome at this table this afternoon. But if that's not you, we want you here. Come at the end of the service. I'll be out in the lobby. Uh, the person who brought you, we'd love to tell you about how you can have your sins forgiven, how you can be a part of a kingdom that will never be shaken, be a part of a kingdom where you would have everlasting life 
And there'll be no more curse, no more pain, no more disease, no more death. We'd love to tell you how you can participate in that. And we ask that as you watch, that you would listen to the words that we sing and what we celebrate today is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I invite you to stand. And together we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed, which is a summation of our faith, what we believe. And as we do so, uh, we'll sing at the end, and, and here's what you'll do. You're going to go to this side of the room, go to your right and collect the elements. This side of the room, you'll go to your left, and you'll come up here and then go back to your seats. Same thing in the gym, kind of split yourselves. Uh, the, the right side, go to your right, out the aisle. The left side, go out to the left in your aisle so we avoid some traffic jams, if you will. Well, let's recite the Apostles' Creed together.